0: Hello everyone and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Foster, senior writer at Barron's. Thanks so much for joining us for what I hope will be a very timely and practical conversation on ETFs from active versus passive to emerging markets and much more. I am delighted to have Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at ETF Trends and ETF Database, as my guest today. Welcome, Todd.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you in the audience.
0: Well, it's really great to have you here. There's so much to talk about, but I want to start with something that was a big topic of discussion at the exchange conference in Miami earlier this month, active ETFs. So is active management doing better this year given the volatile market environment?
1: So the short answer is it depends, but actively managed ETFs are doing relatively well if they're focused on reducing the risk profile of a client's portfolio. So I tend to think of actively managed equity ETFs in a few different broad categories, and and maybe we can talk about an example in each of of three of those. So there are ETFs that are focused on downside risk reduction efforts. Uh, These involve covered calls as well as owning individual stocks and an ETF like JEPI, JEPI is how I would pronounce it, which is a JP Morgan equity diversified income ETF. That's down only 2% this year. That's significantly less than the S&P 500, which is down 10%. You've got some of these broad core equity ETFs. Uh, T. Rowe Price has an equity income ETF. The ticker is TEQI, and that's actually up 1%. This is more of a dividend-focused strategy. Obviously, dividends are holding up better in, or not obviously, but they are holding up better in this kind of environment of volatility. And then on the far end of the spectrum, these are the more thematic ETFs, and, and people the audience are probably familiar with the ARK ETFs that focus on disruptive technology. That's been out of favor this year. ARKK, which is the flagship product, is down about 40%. That obviously is is a reversal of some of the significant gains that this thematic ETF uh, had in prior years. So it depends what type of actively managed equity ETF that we're talking about, and of course, the overall investment style that that the manager is taking on. Mm
0: -hmm. So you just uh, mentioned the ARK funds and the ARK Innovation Fund, which is an active ETF, managed by Kathy Wood has been in the news a lot. And uh, as you said, you know, that those funds have massively underperformed the, the broad market this year. So what should investors do about this? Or what should they know about the ARC Innovation Fund, which was really sort of a, a, f- a favorite for many investors for a long time?
1: Well, what we've seen is that investors and, and many advisors are long-term focused and they are staying patient. They, they are having confidence in the long-term thesis that, that Kathy Wood and the broader research team at ARK have. They're looking at this for a multi-year investment. And they're also likely, what we found, is using this thematic ETF as a slice of their broader portfolio. Mm-hmm. So if you owned the S&P 500 and had a slice in this disruptive technology ETF, then that 40% loss wouldn't feel so painful, and you'd more likely hold on to it. If this is your primary equity or US equity exposure, that in, is in hindsight not the right decision. We think investors should have a core of a broad based portfolio and then use thematic oriented investing, whether that's active or index based, tied to firms like Global X or iShares. Uh, among others, as a to round out the portfolio to add a little potential reward, but not take on too much risk.
0: Okay, can you just give us a sense of just sort of the size of the active ETF market? Sort of what percentage of assets uh, and are, are active versus the passive?
1: Sure. So let me broaden it out. By the U.S. ETF market is roughly seven trillion dollars in size. What? We've seen is that from an asset perspective, 95% of that asset base is tied to either index-based products or passive in nature products. uh, There is no index behind the gold ETF. It's just tracking the spot price of of gold. That would put that in the passive or index-based camp. And then that remaining 5% is actively managed. But the reason we're talking about this or I'm talking about it in part is because actively managed ETFs have been punching above their weight. They've seen nearly a triple the amount of inflows that one would expect uh, in the first quarter. We've seen continued interest uh, in many of these products as we've started the second quarter and actively managed ETF firms uh, are growing. We saw firms like Capital Group that the audience probably is familiar with running the American Fund's mutual fund suite of products. For years, they entered uh, a few months back with actively managed ETFs. We've uh, have uh, firms like Federated and T. Rowe Price that I mentioned, and Fidelity, and American Century, some of these flagship firms. Double line. I keep naming uh, them that have long been known for their active mutual fund offerings entering the ETF marketplace, which makes it particularly exciting if you're a fan of active management. But want the benefits of liquidity and low cost and tax efficiency that ETFs offer, you get the best of both worlds.
0: So you know in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine we saw a lot of interest in aerospace and defense ETFs and this is something you've also written about. Um, Has interest remained strong or what are you seeing uh, when you look at the data?
1: Yeah. So we, had, uh, so as mentioned by you, I head up the research for ETF database and ETF trends on ETF database. Many of the audience uh, probably have been searching for individual tickers to learn about products, and we saw aerospace and defense ETFs be very popular uh, this year. It obviously was it, not obviously, but it was higher as the war uh, in Ukraine was starting. Um, and But it has remained high. So ETFs like ITA is the ticker. It's the iShares U.S. Aerospace and Defense ETF has been uh, seeing a lot of traffic on our website. People want to get to know what is inside that ETF and understand how they can potentially get more exposure to these industrial companies. But it wasn't just that ETF. We saw other ones. So State Street has an equally weighted ETF, XAR. Invesco has another ETF in the aerospace defense area, PPA, and those three ETFs, very narrowly focused in that aerospace and defense industry, were topping uh, the it, within the top one hundred of ETFs when we when we ran the data for the research piece that you're talking about. There's just a reminder: there's uh, close to two thousand ETF uh, tickers. In fact, more than two thousand if we include some of the newer products. So a top 100 is pretty impressive for something narrowly focused like aerospace and defense.
0: Mm-hmm. So just a quick reminder to the audience that if you have a question please do submit it uh, through the Q&A feature. I'll definitely be leaving some time at the towards the end of the conversation to get through your questions. So you know Todd you mentioned earlier that you were you know at exchange and um, not only was the topic of you know active versus passive a big topic but also this sort of idea of you know alternatives to losing uh, money with bond funds and you've also written recently about financial advisors sort of seeking out these high dividend yielding ETFs on the ETF database. So tell us through some of the pros and cons of investing in these dividend ETFs and why have they become so popular?
1: So the average bond fund is down, whether that's a a mutual fund or an ETF uh, like AGG for the year. And investors turn to bonds for both income, uh, for stability within their portfolio, and then perhaps some capital appreciation And so they're now looking for alternatives. The the traditional 60-40 portfolio, we're seeing advisors that are making that more 70-30 and using that extra 10% either for dividend yielding securities and dividend yielding ETFs, like Schwab US Dividend ETF has been very popular. The ticker on that is SCHD. Vanguard High Dividend Yield ETF, VYM, is another example that has become very popular uh, with our client base and, and, and with investors in general, seeing strong inflows this year. These dividend ETFs offer the income component uh, that you might normally get from bonds, some capital appreciation uh, by being stocks uh, tied to various sectors within the broader market. But of course, as, as you highlighted, there are risks. There's more downside potential uh, with fixed with equity securities and fixed income securities. We've also seen investors being interested in what I'll refer to as covered call ETFs. Uh, I touched on one of them earlier, uh, JEPI, which offers uh, income using options in addition to the stocks. But there is other ETFs that, is, that have been gaining traction, QYLD, which is a global X ETF, uh, DIVO. Uh, which is an Amplify ETF, these ETFs have been seeing strong interest in 2022 as advisors and their end investors are are looking for some income in addition to having some upside potential.
0: Great. I have to say, Todd, I don't know how you keep all those tickers straight in your head. You sort of rattle them off with the uh, you know, tip of your fingers. It's kind of amazing um, how you can keep track of all those. So let's sort of cast our view a little bit beyond the US uh, borders and talk about sort of emerging markets. Um, I read that during a recent ETF Trends webcast that was focused on emerging markets, you know, 42% of advisor respondents said that they allocate between 5 and 10% of client assets to emerging markets and another 11% uh, reports taking an even more aggressive approach. Um, but as was pointed out, you know, most of them are using very broad emerging market ETFs to gain exposure. But given the performance challenges for these uh, equity ETFs, what are some alternatives to that broad emerging markets equity exposure?
1: So you're right, we are seeing uh, investors tend to stick with the basics when they're looking at emerging markets. So they'll own an ETF like Vanguard Emerging Markets ETF, VWO, or iShares Core MSCI Emerging Markets, IEMG. When you do that, you get significant exposure to China. And in the past, that might have been rewarding. This year, high exposure to China has been hurting the portfolio, given the challenges that are happening in China and, and potential increased challenges. So there's a few ETFs that we recently highlighted that I think are both not only performing well, but also it's a compelling case for them. So Invesco has an S&P Emerging Markets Low Volatility ETF. The ticker is EELV. At the time that I wrote this piece last uh, last week, at the end of last week, it was up, uh, up 3.5%. The broad emerging market ETFs were down double digits this is an etf as the low volatility in its name suggests is it's going to hold companies that have been less volatile or less risky in emerging markets which which sounds like that should be an oxymoron but is is the reality Mm -hmm. and in doing so you have much less exposure to china and more exposure to countries like thailand and taiwan and saudi arabia you'd have to feel comfortable investing in those respective markets uh, let me give two other ETFs. One is from WisdomTree. It's their Emerging Markets High Dividend ETF, DEM. And then the second one is the Freedom 100 Emerging Markets ETF, FRDM. Now, the WisdomTree Emerging Markets High Dividend ETF is focused on dividend-paying companies. Dividend-paying companies have greater stability, and, and you can, again, get some income component with that we talked about earlier, protects them with the downside the FRDM product the, the freedom ETF is as, as the name suggests is focusing on countries where there's high human and economic freedom according to the index provider China does not qualify uh, in fact there is no China exposure to this ETF but you get exposure to Chile and South Korea and Poland and and Taiwan and that ETF has been holding up much better so you don't have to just stick with the basics with emerging market ETFs. You can do a little bit of additional homework on our platform. On You can search for it on Barron's as well, and uh, among others, and, and, and see what other choices there are out there.
0: Great. Yeah, that's uh, Just speak, hearing you speak earlier made me think, uh, what are you hearing on the ESG front? Uh, is there a lot of interest in ESG-related ETFs?
1: The interest has gone down uh, versus a year ago. We recently pulled some data and saw that the, the traffic towards some of the more popular or based on assets under management, broad ESG ETFs is down sharply year over year. There is a perception, it's not based on reality, but there's a perception that ESG ETFs have no exposure to energy. And energy has been, up until recently, has been performing very well, energy stocks, that is. Many of these broad ESG ETFs, uh, ESGU, which is an iShares product, is the largest of those, has a healthy, roughly equal weighting towards the energy sector because these ESG ETFs seek to have some sector neutrality. They're looking at the best ESG companies within a respective marketplace. But we've seen... Demand for these overall products and interest for these overall products wane in recent years, even as there's been a continued launch of products. Firms like iShares and Vanguard, among others, have and State Street have broadened their lineup in recent years to give investors and advisors that want to build an ESG-oriented portfolio more choices. Uh, so I think there's a long-term trend towards ESG, but it's going to the interest in in doing your homework on these products, uh, based on what we're seeing on our database, certainly has waned versus a, a year ago.
0: That's really interesting. So you know, we we titled this episode ETFs for a, a rising rate environment, and I think if there are two words that are in, on investors' minds at the moment, it's sort of you know rates and inflation. And we've touched on this a little bit, you know, in the conversation, but. You know, for the the listeners and they're wondering, you know, how do we play this uh, rising rates, rising inflation uh, sort of environment? uh, What are some ETFs that you think investors can consider to take advantage of this?
1: So I think investors should have to think about whether your goal is to protect against the rising rate environment and the higher inflationary environment or your goal is to try to be rewarded. Uh, by that and, and playing defense or playing offense you're more likely to take a different approach so let's start on the more defensive side uh, a rising rate environment tends to be a challenge for your much of a fixed income portion of a portfolio uh, because as rates go up the bonds inside the etf go down in value thus your bond etf goes down in value so being aware of the interest rate sensitivity, uh, that what is often known as a duration of your bond ETF or bond mutual fund, if you happen to own a bond mutual fund as well, is important. And then choosing something that's on the shorter end uh, of the spectrum. We've seen really, so if you want to protect the downside of it, you would might look at an ultra short bond ETF, uh, MINT, which is a PIMCO ETF or JPST, which is a JP Morgan ETF. Those are ways to protect against the downside. Those are more akin to cash-like investments. You'll get a little bit of income. You'll get potentially a little bit of reward, but not much risk uh, as a result of it. If you wanted to take the more rewarding aspect of it, we've seen some strong interest in senior loan ETFs. So these are less interest rate sensitive because the rates are the rates are floating in nature they adjust periodically uh, but it invests in companies that have taken have more credit risk so the income the reward is potentially higher and we've seen ETFs uh, this year like SRLn which is a state Street ETF or FTSL which is a first stress ETF gain in traction as a, a way of getting some reward potential so let me let me pause and see if, if that makes okay. sense and if yeah. not I'll, I'll 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 transition to the inflationary perspective yeah no,
0: that's too. absolutely keep going todd
1: okay great um yeah the resetting every once in a while helps me to refresh the tickers and in, 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 in my brain for a little <laughs> bit um the inflationary environment where we're obviously seeing demand for commodity oriented etfs that that are a way of offsetting uh, what's the challenges in the equity and fixed income portfolio. And they benefit from inflationary times GLD, which is the gold ETF from state street has pulled in $8 billion thus far this year. That's among the top 10 largest inflows. Uh, Invesco has a more broadly diversified commodity ETF. The ticker is PDBC. Let me just repeat that one because that's some similar sounding letters. B as in Paul, D is in David, B as in boy, C is in Charlie. That's added about $3 billion. We're seeing advisors and, and investors want to add some commodity ETFs into the mix. Um, and, and we're seeing uh, interest in that. I, I'll offer a couple of equity ETFs quickly that are tied to inflation as well and a way to benefit from it. So uh, PPI is an ETF from uh, Axis Astoria uh, and they, it invests in both equities as well as some commodity oriented uh, ETFs um, to be able to get some exposure uh, both to the reward and the risk perspective. And then INFL, which is from a firm, Horizon Kinetics, that is focused on just equities that can benefit From inflationary environments, both tied to the commodity equity sectors and some of the financials that are uh, what they refer to as asset light. Uh, Those are some of the more interesting ways to benefit from the inflationary environment that seems to be prolonged uh, for the for the past six to nine months.
0: That's great. So, you know, there's risk in stocks and there's risk in bonds. Uh, should investors be looking to increase their exposure to alternatives? Are you seeing a lot of interest in this space?
1: So, if we refer to commodities as alternatives, then yes, we're certainly seeing interest in, in this. Uh, for some folks, alternatives might be more focused on long short strategies or managed futures products. They they offer a different risk and reward profile. It can certainly make sense to be a slice of the portfolio to zag when the market zigs, but they're going to perform quite differently. And that has some upside potential, but but some uh, these tend to be more niche-oriented products. So I, I'm aware of them, but I, I think they're probably off the beaten path for many investors, these hedge fund-like strategies. So- I don't wanna give you know, investment advice as to, as to what people should or shouldn't do, but they should certainly take a look at some of these alternative ETFs that are out there, see if they, see if it fits into their portfolio.
0: Great. So Todd, I see there, there are quite a number of questions that have come in, so I'm going to uh, turn over to some of the questions that have come in. So uh, Joshua asks, do you recommend low beta ETFs like SPLV, for example?
1: So SPLV, which is a, a sister fund of that EELV that I was referring to earlier, this is a U.S. focus. This is the less risky stocks within the broader S&P 500. It tends to be more exposed to defensive sectors like utilities and consumer staples. Um, so this is a good way of having exposure to the equity marketplace in a low risk way. Um if you're comfortable with underperforming in an up market, but hoping to hold your own in a down market, it, it can be a, a good way of taking your S&P 500 equity exposure and reducing that risk profile. You can bolt SPLV onto IVV or VOO or SPY. Those are the three leading S&P 500 index-based products. So this makes sense for someone who wants to reduce the risk profile and keep the strategy similar to their S&P 500 equities.
0: Okay, great. So Philip says, do you consider certain sub-sectors, styles, categories, etc., as optimal to accept higher expense ratios for active ETFs? Uh, if one is investing IRA money and not paying brokerage fees, are higher turnover rates in ETFs cost-effective?
1: So that, there's a couple of questions that I think I'd pull in here. So ETF fees tend to be relatively low compared to mutual funds, but there's a wide range of, of within the spectrum. So the arc suite of products, uh, charges, I believe 75 basis points for their active long-term thematic strategies. The the difference between their fee and something from somebody else. That's certainly either index or less, uh, seeking to hit home runs, um, and, and, and knock it out of the park perspective, the returns are going to be notably different, both on the upside or the downside than that fee differential. So I think it's fair to pay a premium fee if it's the right product. All things equal based on the exposure, based on the performance that has historically occurred and what you hope for it to be able to achieve the The turnover perspective and, and the taxes um, just to. Level set a bit. ETFs tend to be extremely tax efficient. You tend to pay the taxes when you make uh, trades, but not have to set not pay taxes when other people who own the funds themselves make trades. And as a result, uh, they make sense both in a, a tax deferred or a traditional account. So I wouldn't worry about taxes uh, other than when you're planning on selling it with an ETF. Um, and so the turnover should be should matter less other than the, the underlying stocks will change, but you won't be paying taxes. Hopefully I answered that question or, or both parts of that question.
0: I think you did. A question from Andrew, can you suggest an ETF for floating rate bank loans?
1: Ah, so the I touched on the higher yielding ones. So SRLN uh, and FTSL are examples. If your focus is on the investment grade, category. Uh, FLOT, which is an iShares product, is is one of the leading uh, products available. Um, so it depends upon how much risk you want to take. And then there's other products besides the ones that I'm coming up with off the top of my head.
0: Great. Now, you did touch on this a bit earlier, but Armando asks, uh, can you please give your opinion on the ARK active ETFs?
1: So these are compelling ETFs if you've got a long-term time horizon and you want to add these as part of a slice of the portfolio. There's no denying this has been a tough year uh, for this suite of products. If you look at the longer-term record, it's considerably stronger. And I believe um, over the five-year period, if that's your time horizon for investing, you would have been rewarded for investing in ARKK or, or some of the other products. These are risky um, and should either be used in, a, in conjunction with other parts of the portfolio or certainly for people who can stomach that level of volatility. Um, so they're, they're compelling products, but they're, they're not always going to be up, uh, certainly not up 100% or even up uh, to the level that, that you might expect year over year. But over the longer term, I think they've demonstrated a, a nice track record.
0: Great. So uh, Hal would like to know, uh, what's better between either direct investment in treasuries or between investing into ETF or mutual funds? And he asks, do both provide the same margin loan collateral value or are direct treasuries better?
1: So I I think this is going to be beyond the area of expertise that that I can be able to provide. I would say I'll broaden this question out. I don't think I'm going to answer it properly, but the difference between owning an individual bond and owning a fund that owns bonds is one you're going to get that level of diversification through an etf or a mutual fund instead of just owning one uh treasury uh you'll have various maturities um but i don't know that i understand enough of how to answer the the main part of the question so uh, i'm sorry
0: no problem. You can you can skip on that one. So I guess almost the, maybe the final question. You know, for investors wanting to deploy new money into ETFs, where is this little upside potential?
1: So that's going to I guess fall into the investment advice camp. So let me just tell you where we're seeing some action that is compelling to me. We start. We've been seeing this year uh, a rotation towards value oriented ETFs. VTV, which is Vanguard's value ETF, has pulled in ten billion dollars. This is going to own a more value-oriented slice of the broader market, but still be broad in nature. I think given that we're likely to see continued interest rate hikes, that value investing uh, makes sense. Given that we're likely to see a choppy marketplace, value makes sense. VTV is just one example of a way to get exposure to value. iShares has VLUE, which is a broad uh, broadly diversified ETF focused on value stocks within each of the respective sectors. If you wanted a deeper value way of playing it, uh, RPV, which is an Investco ETF, it takes the S and P 500 and and takes the deepest or most value oriented stocks on a regular basis, but in, in an index based approach. I think there's I think value has made a comeback in in 2022. And I think we're likely to see investor interest in those ETFs continue to be strong.
0: Great. So I guess closing question in the last minute or so, you know, what are some of the most interesting innovations that you've seen in the ETF space over the past year? And and what sort of are you most excited about uh, in the coming months in terms of ETFs?
1: So I'm going to circle back on two of the topics we touched on. I'm extremely excited about actively managed ETFs, the fact that we can get some of these well-known firms and established firms, uh, I mentioned double line earlier, but Jeffrey Gunlock uh, running um, an ETF for fixed income oriented investors, that we have uh, firms like Capital Group, that we have firms like Fidelity and Tiro Price in the ETF marketplace for investors and advisors that want the benefits, potential benefits of security selection through the ETF structure. I'm also excited about how we've taken things that are more complicated and put them in the ETF structure. Now they don't lose some of their complications, but an investor doesn't have to do this themselves. So, a firm, Simplify, has taken uh, some hedging strategies that are prevalent within the hedge fund community and made them available in in an ETF. One of the ETFs, PFIX, is a way of, is doing very well this year focused on benefiting from the rising rate environment. We touched on covered calls quite a bit. We've got these defined outcome ETFs from Innovator and First Trust that you can be able to, there's just so many different unique ways to get exposure to equity and fixed income. And they are now available within the ETF structure. And that makes it extremely exciting for me to be part of ETF trends and ETF database where, where folks can do their homework and learn about these ETFs.
0: Well, it's been a very fascinating discussion and I can't believe what a deep well of information you are uh, on ETFs. But unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there because that's all the time that we have for today. So thank you to the audience for tuning in. Uh, Thank you so much, Todd, for being here. Uh, We hope that the audience will listen in to our next episode tomorrow. Mickey Levy, who is chief U.S. economist at Berenberg Capital, will join Barron's live to discuss the outlook for inflation and what the Fed must do to get it back under control. So thank you for listening. Be well and have a wonderful day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.